Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 together this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. You know, in my first pastorate, we had something really shocking happen. One of our dear old saints of God expired right in the middle of the service. Now, somebody had dialed 911, but it was too late. The ambulance arrived. The EMTs rushed in. But you see the real tragedy? was they had to check 13 different people's pulse to make sure who was the dead person. <laughs> yes, that didn't actually happen. Just for the irony impaired, uh, no, I, I made all that up. Suffice to say, Beach Street, we don't ever want to become like that, do we? See, we have two primary purposes for being here today. To give God the glory that He deserves and also to encourage one another. So we're in Hebrews today. It was a letter that were, was written to Jews who had converted to Christianity. But some of these converts were having a difficult time leaving behind their old religion and they were considering a return to their old methods of worship. In fact, some had already walked away from their commitment to Jesus and from the church and had gone back to their old life of Judaism. And so what the book of Hebrews does is it proves that Jesus and the salvation that he provides is far superior to anything the Jews could have ever experienced under the Old Testament law. And it challenges them to remain faithful to Jesus. But, it, you know, that word to them and the then there, that's also a relevant word to us in the here and now, as we're going to see this morning. In fact, the big idea behind today's passage, the big idea really behind the whole chapter of Hebrews 10, is that because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, then we have the boldness to draw near to God, the encouragement to do works, and the obligation to assemble ourselves together. Now, today's passage contains some really important challenges that we all need to hear. In fact, as you read this chapter, several times you're going to see the words, let us. There's several let us statements here. Well, these let us statements actually kind of show us what a healthy church is supposed to look like. So, three characteristics of the faithful in this passage. Three things that the faithful do. Here's number one. The faithful draw near. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Now, in verses 19 through 22, 
there's three treasures, three treasures that you and I as Christ followers are able to enjoy. Here's the first one. In verse 19, we see that we're given access to God. We have a boldness to enter the sanctuary. Now you see the sanctuary in this passage, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of our salvation. The writer of Hebrews is telling us how it's possible for us to draw near to God. And this invitation in verse 19 to, to enter boldly this new and living way to God surely had to have seemed strange to his Jewish readers. You see, in Judaism, no one could approach God but the high priest. And even then, only one day a year on the annual day of atonement. And only then with the blood of an animal sacrifice that he would have to, to slay to atone for his own sins. Now, it's interesting that in those days, God chose to manifest a physical presence. His, his physical glory was manifested in what's called the Holy of Holies. That was the innermost chamber in the tabernacle. And so with the exception of the high priest, basically what this meant was that people were barred from the presence of God. But you see, Jesus changed all of that. See, when Jesus came, died on a cross, he made a way for us to receive him. And all those who received him, he gave us the ability to enter into the presence of God, a new way through that veil that had separated humankind from God. A new way to move from the, well, from the holy place to the holy of holies, figuratively speaking. See, this veil in the tabernacle was symbolic of the body of Jesus. Now, you might recall from Matthew chapter 27, at the very moment that Jesus died, this, this thick curtain, this veil was torn from top to bottom, miraculously. See, in order for us to have access into God's presence, the veil had to be torn. Remembering that the veil is Christ, his body. That is, Christ's body had to be broken in death. Well, that's a reminder to us that we can only draw near by Christ's sacrificial death. One that he died in our place to pay the price for our sins and so every time that we enter into the presence of God, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through praise and worship, let's not forget that that privilege was bought at a tremendous cost. So when Jesus opened up the, the Holy of Holies with his blood, he provided access for us to follow. His shed blood is our invitation to enter into the presence of God. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, had Jesus not died, our sins would never have been forgiven. But folks, you know, we, that's a big deal. I mean, we've, we've got forgiveness, we've got the ability to, to enter in, but we have so much more than just forgiveness and access. You see, there's a second treasure that as believers in Christ we enjoy. You see, we're also given an advocate before God. Look at verse 21. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, wait a second, Eric. We're Baptists. We don't have priests. Well, yeah, we do. One, and his name is Jesus. 
He's our go-between. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, a few chapters earlier, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, said that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Paul said, Jesus is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Okay, so what, is, what does that really mean, that Jesus intercedes for us? Well, in short, it means that Jesus is the advocate for all Christians, meaning he's our great defender. That's the role that he currently fills with regard to all believers. He's always at the right hand of God, pleading our case before the Father, just like a, a defense lawyer would on our behalf. So simply put, you know, we've got a guy on the inside. He's praying for us, and he's guaranteeing that we will be accepted. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, 37, that the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, verse 22 here says that we can come in full assurance of faith. So, that means that we come to God with an ironclad guarantee that he will receive us, that he will hear us. So, thanks to Jesus, we're given access to God. We're given an advocate before God. Oh, but get this. We're given lives altered by God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. See, under the old system, the Jewish leader was never completely clean. I mean, the Jewish worshiper never completely clean. Even the high priest had to cleanse himself every time he entered the tabernacle or later on the temple. But you see, things are different for you and I. There's an extraordinary thing that happens when we enter into relationship with God through our faith in Jesus. God changes us. You know, as the old hymn says, yes, God does receive me just as I am, but you know what? He loves us way too much to leave us that way. He transforms us into something so beautiful. Christy and I, back in 1992, we moved from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Oklahoma City. Took us a few months to find a church home. We eventually settled at First Baptist Church of Moore. And before long, we had joined the choir. And the first person that I met when I joined the choir was a guy named Ray Walker. As I got to know Ray, I learned some pretty extraordinary things about him. I learned that in his life before Christ, Ray was uh, something of a scoundrel. Uh, Ray told me that in his life before Jesus, he, he was a pretty heavy smoker borderline alcoholic, and I say borderline because he, he told me, he told me one, once that as a younger man on Friday nights, he would dig through the couch cushions in his home looking for change to be able to buy a six pack of beer. And if he found enough change to buy a six pack, it just honked him off because it wasn't enough money for two six packs. I mean, clearly he had a problem. But you see, something happened to Ray Walker Jesus Christ invaded his life. 
Ray told me that, you know, when he gave himself to Jesus, his craving for cigarettes died instantly. His, his need for alcohol disappeared almost overnight. Now, he still had to figure out, you know, how to fill that void on Friday nights, the time he had normally set aside to get drunk. You see, Ray was no longer a slave to those things. Ray had a new master, Jesus Christ. And Jesus began to do some amazing things in his life. And not just in his life, but in the life of his family. Because of Ray's decision to accept Jesus, his dad, Jim, came to Jesus. His brother, Mike, came to Jesus. In fact, the whole family was changed because of what happened to Ray. And the Lord molded Ray Walker into a, a new man, a man of God, a man forgiven, a man cleansed, transformed. Ray was given access to God. That access came by way of our great high priest, our advocate, Jesus. And he's the one who has the power to give us new hearts and lives. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Look, the new has come. So the old man's gone. New person is created, one forgiven and cleansed by Jesus' blood. In fact, uh, the apostle John said in 1 John 1, 7, that when a sinner comes to faith in Jesus, that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses him from all sin. Once for all, forever. Oh, but here's the thing. You see, when the heart is cleansed by the blood of Jesus, there's not just an inward change. There's an outward transformation too. Folks, if something's real on the inside, it's going to show on the outside because saving faith is behaving faith. If it's genuine, it will show in a transformed life that bears fruit and gives glory to God. All right, so here in verses 19 through 22, we saw that as the faithful draw near, we're given access to God, we're given an advocate before God, we're given altered lives by God. But here's, here's a second thing that the faithful do. Notice what it says in verse 23. The faithful hold fast. Writer of Hebrews says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is promised is faithful. Since we have that blessed hope in Jesus, we live it out by remaining faithful to the one who's faithful to us. Now, some of these Jewish converts that the writer of Hebrews was, was addressing were having a hard time making a complete break from their old religion. They were trying to hold on to their Jewish roots, but also have Jesus too. But they didn't need both. As the apostle Paul often taught, uh, most explicitly in the book of Galatians, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need anything else for salvation. He is all that we need. And so this verse here, verse 23, it's, it's really, it's emblematic of the entire message of the book of Hebrews. The writer is telling his audience to be careful not to turn away from Christ and go back to their old lives. 
And I think there's a danger for us in, in that too. I think the majority of us, you know, we, we weren't saved out of specific religion, say like Mormonism or Judaism or Islam or anything like that. Most of us, we were just saved out of the darkness of our own sin. But you know, there's always the danger that we might turn back to the world. And so we're challenged here to be faithful to the one who saved us by his grace and his mercy and his love. Now, any of us that have spent any length of time at all in the church, we've probably known people in the church who were here for a while, but then they departed for the world. You see, they think that there's freedom there, but in reality, there's nothing but, but pain and, and heartache and separation from God. You see, it's very likely that those people had never actually come to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ to begin with. Now, the apostle John, he actually had something to, to say about those people. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Folks, we have to be on guard that the same thing doesn't happen to us. I think that's why the Apostle Paul was telling the church at Corinth to, to really do some, some hard self-reflection. I mean, basically to take a spiritual selfie, take a hard look at themselves. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to test yourselves, to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? In other words, make sure that your salvation is real. You know, instead of some you know, family tradition of always you know, us going to the same church or, or just making the church your, your social club or ha having some sort of mental embrace to Christianity because it's a part of Southern culture. What I'm saying is do some hard self-reflection to make sure your salvation is genuine. Do some business with Conductor Jesus to make sure you're on board the gospel train. All right, so verse 23, it's really a call to be faithful to the Lord, knowing that he's always going to be faithful to us. Our, uh, our previous church in Lubbock, Texas, we had five services every Sunday morning. One at eight o'clock. There was two that ran concurrently at uh, 9.30. There was one contemporary, one blended. And then that same pattern, those same two services were repeated at 11 o'clock. Well, some new members came to our senior pastor one Sunday, shortly after joining the church. And they were just positively beaming with excitement. Oh, we just love the eight o'clock service. Do you? Oh, yeah. That way we can get it over with. <laughs> Folks, that's not faithfulness. That's convenience. That's not sacrifice. That's self-interest. In fact, we talked a little bit about this last week in our study of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Does it cost to serve the Lord? Oh, you betcha. Every step of the way. Following Jesus isn't for wimps, y'all. 
Because the Christian life is often one of sacrifice. It's not a life of ease, and if it is, you're probably not doing it right. It's not consumer-oriented, me-centered religion. It's he-centered gospel living. But we hold fast because that's what the faithful do. And our greatest motivation to faithfully endure is the certainty that Jesus is going to keep his end of the bargain. <laughs> and believe me, you're getting the better end of the bargain because your salvation cost him everything. But think of all he's done for us. He left his home in heaven to be among us. He hung on a cross for six hours, enduring the most excruciating torture that mankind could possibly conceive. And then he died for us. Oh, but then he rose for us on the third day. He saved us. He called us out of our sins. John 10.10 10 says that he promised us abundant life. John 3.16, he promised us an eternal home with him after this earthly life is over. And every single promise that Jesus made, he kept. And so, why would his promise of eternity be any different? He will not fail to deliver things that anything that, that he has promised the children of God, and you can take that to the bank. So really, you know, the gist of verse 23, it's, it's that knowing that since God will always be faithful to us, we should always be faithful to him. All right, so we've seen so far in Hebrews chapter 10 that the faithful are the ones who draw near, the ones who hold fast. And then we see that number three, the faithful encourage. The faithful encourage. We encourage one another. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so the challenge here is to consider one another. Now, the, the, the Greek word there, it means not simply to, to think carefully about, but, it, but, but actually to envision. We are to envision our brothers and sisters in Christ in ways that provoke them. Okay, not provoking in a negative way. See that Greek term there? It means rousing to activity. We are to rouse our brothers and sisters in Christ to love and to good works. Uh, think of it this way. You ever been to a football game where they had a, a rally rag? You've seen rally rags, right? Just do this. Humor me. Okay. The terrible towel of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Very first rally rag ever. Goes all the way back to 1975. Invented by the Steelers radio play-by-play -play guy, uh, Myron Cope. Uh, 1975, a playoff game is when the rally rag, the terrible towel, they called it, first made its appearance. And it's a major symbol of that team and its fans, even today. And along the way, a lot of other sports teams have adopted their version of the rally rag. But you see, the faithful followers of that team, they'd swing those rally rags in a, in a circular motion. You know, as I think about it, it, it kind of makes me think of the old Western films where they had to circle the wagons. You know, anytime that they were under attack, 
you know, that swing in that rally rag, you know, that was their way of rousing the team on, encouraging them to victory. And so I think that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews has in mind here. He's telling us that we need to rally each other to love and to good works. And then he adds in verse 25, the word encouraging. Together, we the church are to provoke and encourage one another. Now, there's several forms of encouragement that that's going to take. You see, as a Hebrews 10.25 church, we are to love together. That's the first thing. We're to love together. Love should be the calling card of any church. Now, our love for God should be the supreme love of our lives. And Jesus made that clear in no uncertain terms. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. He's actually quoting the Shema, a passage in Deuteronomy 6, 5. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Now, second only to that love is the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We see, neither of these loves is meant to be love in word only. It's meant to be in deed. Because love isn't, isn't so much a, a warm, bubbly feeling that, that wells up inside of you so much as it is a, a decision, a choice, a, a commitment. It's you choosing to invest a part of your life in another person. It's you agreeing to serve their needs, even at the exclusion of your own needs, if necessary. So love is much, much more than just an emotion. Love is a commitment. Love is a verb. And so a Hebrews 10.25 church is to love together. But a Hebrews 10.25 church, we also are to work together to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and their work for the Lord. You know, and instead of finding fault with everyone and everything that they do, we should take the time to notice the positive things that people are doing and encourage them in that work for Jesus. Because, hey, we're all on the same team, right? And according to Ephesians 4.29, our team business is the building up business, okay? Not the tearing down business, not the bicker, argue, and complain business. We are to love together. We are to work together. And we are to worship together. See, some of the Jewish folks that the writer of Hebrews was addressing had abandoned the public gathering of the believers. And he makes it crystal clear that the faithful are to intentionally seek out the gathering of believers. See, oftentimes we convince ourselves that corporate worship isn't a necessity, but it's something that's optional. No, it's not optional. Now, why is that? Well, number one, because of what we just read. The Bible instructs us to here in verse 25. Number two, because our corporate worship in the body of Christ 
It is about us freely and joyfully giving a holy and merciful God the praise and glory that he so rightfully deserves. Now, get this. One of the wonderful things about that is the byproduct that our corporate worship gatherings have on us. Because we get blessed. Yes, God deserves our praise. That is our first and foremost motive for being here. But guess what? We need the energy. We need the teaching, the preaching, the worship, the challenges, the encouragement, the fellowship, and the sense of family that's available to us when we come together as a corporate family in the name of Jesus. You know, very few things in this life are going to help you stay close to the Lord more than regular, faithful, worshipful attendance in the house of God. All right, now I've got to confess something to y'all. I have several great loves in my life. Of course, God, you know, my wife and family, the church, and there's other things on the list, you know, beautiful melodies. I love a good platter of chicken nachos. But one of my great loves, college football. But sadly, I'm going to have to give up college football. I will never, ever, ever go back to another game. You know why? Every time I went, they asked me for money. The people I had to sit with, they were not very friendly. Do you know the referee made a decision I could not agree with? And I went to a lot of the games. But you know what? The coach never came to call on me. Some of the games went into overtime, so I was late getting home. The band even had the audacity to play some songs I've never heard before. They scheduled games at times when I wanted to do other things. Now that sounds pretty goofy, right? Yeah, it is goofy. But don't we often do the same thing with church? Oh, you know, it's my only day to sleep in. Pews are too hard. Sanctuary's too cold. They don't sing my favorite songs. They don't meet early enough. Oh, no, they don't meet late enough. Well, you know, I can worship God just as good through nature. Well, I got family in town. Well, you know what? That's okay because they need the gospel just as much as the rest of us, so bring them on. Well, Eric, you know, I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. That's true. And you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of a plane, but it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision, y'all. If you wait until Sunday morning to decide whether you're going to gather with other Christians and worship, you're going to find a reason not to go. The late great pastor Adrian Rogers once responded to those who said, Pastor, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. He said, that's right. You can be saved anywhere. But if you love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves. And he loves the church. The church is not a building it is the people gathered together. And when you're here this morning, do you know what you're saying? You're saying two things by being in that seat this morning. Number one, you're saying that God is important to me. Number two, you're saying other people are important to me. 
So Beach Street, don't let the enemy convince you that there are other things in life that are more important than being in your place when it's time for us to gather in corporate worship with the body of Christ. Don't miss out on one of the greatest blessings the Lord has ever placed in your life. Come to church. Come often. Come faithfully. Come ready to worship. Come to sing. Come to pray. Come to praise. Come to hear His Word. Come to fellowship with His people. Come to serve. Come to help. Come to be helped. Come excited. If you've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, why don't you notify your face? Because other people around you are watching, and your praise is a testimony to others. Come expectantly. Come prayerfully. Come prepared for God to do something big. But whatever you do, come. Come to church. Still need a reason? Give you two, because that's what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And reason number two, because God commands it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, it says in Hebrews 10, 25. Because that's what the faithful do. Now, think of it this way. Think of what we do here together as a church family. Think of it as heaven practice. But our practice time is growing short. That's why the writer of Hebrews said for us to be encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, what's the day in question? Well, that's the day of judgment, the day of the Lord. See, Jesus is coming back. But in the meantime, we need one another. We need the fellowship and the strength that we draw from one another. And we need what the church has to offer while we wait for Jesus. So when that day comes, y'all, let's be found faithful to him, to each other. Church, these commands in Hebrews chapter 10, they teach us that the faithful people of God are supposed to do certain things with our lives. The faithful draw near. The faithful hold fast. The faithful encourage one another through our love and through our work and through our worship. That's what the faithful do. Is that what you want to do? Is that what you want to be? Do you want to be found faithful? You see, for the faithful, the Lord's going to have a reward for your committed service, for your obedience to his will. But you know what? If you're not, understand this. If you, for whatever reason, have allowed yourself to wander from the path that God's intended for you, man, you can make that right with him right now, today, right here. Now, here's an even bigger question. Are you saved? Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. 
and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.